This is Victoria of TheUnleashedHeart.com, and you're listening to Grieving Voices, a podcast for hurting hearts who desire to be heard, or anyone who wants to learn how to better support loved ones experiencing loss. As a 30-plus year griever and advanced grief recovery method specialist, I know how badly the conversation around grief needs to change. Through this podcast, I aim to educate grievers and non-grievers alike, spread hope, and inspire compassion toward those hurting. Lastly, by providing my heart with ears and this platform, grievers have the opportunity to share their wisdom and stories of loss and resiliency. How about we talk about grief like we talk about the weather? Let's get started. Thank you for tuning in to Grieving Voices again. If this is your second, third, fourth, fifth time, welcome. And if this is your first time, thank you for being here. Today, my guest is Amy Medcalf. She is one of two members in her podcast, Once Upon a Nightmare, who deals with her loss and grief through humor and spooky things. She is new to the podcasting world and working her way through to find peace of mind as daily life can be hard. Keeping busy helps, and especially when it's something that you're interested in, like your podcast. Exactly. So let's thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so let's start with your podcast, uh, Once Upon a Nightmare. And what was the prompting for you to create that? So I've always like kind of wanted to do a podcast. It's been on my mind for the past few years, but it's like, what do I want to do? Like, I, I wasn't sure if I wanted to do things that were part of my job but like even then it's like you gotta kind of back away from that because like if you get too much into your job when you're a social worker and you're working with like um vulnerable people it's it you tend to kind of burn out really fast and I didn't want to kind of like get into something like that and I really like Um, spooky things like I'm an October baby (laughs) so I hold October and spooky like near and dear to my heart and my friend she is very into spooky stuff as well I like true crime I like all that kind of stuff and it kind of makes me happy and it it allows me to kind of express myself in a different way than what a lot of people who know me um, see on a daily kind of so I connect with what you're saying. Um, I actually just shared a, a, a news. My actually my re- most recent newsletter was about being in a way addicted to sadness. And- yeah, it, it, it's, it's very much true. Like I find if I am alone and in my head a little too much, I, I can, I can make myself, I, I can hurt my own feelings and make myself cry. Like <laughs> always felt like you've always had things happen to you especially like with loss and um whether that's with a death or a breaking of a relationship like a friendship or whatever you tend to kind of get in your head and all this stuff and it's like why do people keep leaving me why am I always alone and why do like why does everything always happen to me and it kind of it's kind of like a security blanket kind of and it's like and a lot of people use that to not get close to people, right? So, I, I, that that's definitely a a, a thing where you can be addicted to sadness. So, <laughs> well, because I've just been really investigating this for myself because I love true crime, always oh, have. Yeah. Like oh. I was reading Patricia Cornwell, 
you know, when I was mm. a teenager and loved true crime then. And my, some of my favorite podcasts are true crime podcasts. And so what do you think? And, and you're a social worker, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what do you think it is? Well, I, could, I have so many questions now. <laughs> Because I think for me, a little bit of it is that I feel a connection to the mm-hmm. sadness that victims feel. Oh, yeah. Survivors or, you know, yeah. connecting to that on the base of loss, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it can be, it's very traumatic for families. When oh, they yeah. Go through stuff like that. And, but do you think like this connection to, other people and their sadness is kind of what led you and your own personal experience, of course, led you to be a social worker. Kind of at the time I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. Like I was on my own at 16, so I didn't finish high school. I ended up getting my GED and I was, I had like a really great sense of empathy and I liked helping people and all that other stuff. And especially when it came to like understanding them on the, that deeper level, like when they're going through loss or they're going through being on their own for the first time and they're very young and because they got kicked out or they had a really bad family dynamic and all that stuff. And I, I think that was part of the reason, like part of it. And um, I didn't kind of want to leave the town that I was in and the college in the town. um, It was very, very small. (laughs) It was held in our arena and there was only like a a handful of classes and they just came in with like a social work program and somebody mentioned it to me. So I applied and I got in and yeah. (laughs) That's amazing. So how many years have you been doing this work? Um, so I graduated in 2013 and I started before I graduated, I started um, working at kind of like a group home setting for adults um, with aut- autism and anything else. Cause with autism comes a, a plethora of uh, other Lots of things Mm -hmm. like, so yeah, it's just, um, a lot of the times I worked with like them and then I worked in group homes for teen girls, which a lot of them, I still talk to (laughs) now that they're older and everything and they're, um, and I, they still come to me for advice. Sometimes they're like, Amy, (laughs) like I need help. And so it's just like, I really liked working with youth the most, I think, because that's where I felt my loss the most. So um, right now I live in Montreal. I'm not bilingual, so I'm nannying. <laughs> but um, I also did daycare and all that stuff. So it's just um, I didn't mind the group home. Like the group home was very like kept you on the go all the time. So do you miss that work? Sometimes, <laughs> yeah. but they tend to like, you tend to get really overworked and like burnt out so fast. And cause there's so much turnover. Cause people don't realize like how hard it is. Like it, it's heartbreaking. Like I remember when the, one of the group homes I was working for was getting shut down and like the kids were crying, they were upset. They didn't want to like leave. Like probably wasn't the greatest one, but like it was better than most. So I can like, yeah. It was for the kids. Yeah. Yeah. 
you know, cause that that's their, con- that's their family, right? For a lot exactly. of them. Like as much as they fight with all the other girls, they love each other in a sisterly kind of way. And they, I know a lot of them are still like um, talking with each other and like um, being there for each other in a certain way. And even though they still talk badly about each other sometimes and it's like, Oh my God, girls, like you guys haven't changed, but um, no, they do become a family, even with like the staff, like the ones that stay. And um, it, it's hard when staff leave and come and go and because they always come and go. And if they're there for a long time and it's like, they feel like they don't really have a home, but like, they try to make the best of it. Well, right. Cause they come from instability. And so when there's no instability mm-hmm. on where they're stuck, essentially, yeah. because they're children and mm-hmm. they don't have really much of a choice unless they try and go out on the streets. Um, yeah. So was that you, were you a child in a group home then at 16 or a youth group program? Um, when I was out on my own, I ended up in the shelter, like a youth shelter on and off and um but I like I never really like lived fully on the streets I couldn't live without a shower <laughs> so I I always opted for the for the shelter if I could and um I had some places on my own but like it's hard when you're 16 and you're on your own and you don't have those life skills like I'm still paying for some of my lack of life skills like I had a credit card at 18 and I didn't like use it properly and it affected my credit although I'm like working on that even at 33 (laughs) like if I could go back younger me would do things a lot differently I would hope but um it it yeah I I was more in group homes not group homes uh uh shelters than group homes so CAS didn't come in when I was on my own. <laughs> and you speak to the importance of support and having that support system mm-hmm. and just learning life skills. Cause like, look at the, the impact that you're living now. And I had a little bit of that too. Like you, you just, if you're not taught, you just no. don't know. That's exactly it. Like when my mom passed away, I was 11 years old and I went to go live with my godparents and my godmother did a lot of my stuff. So like, yeah, I would clean my room and all that other stuff. But like a lot of the time she would clean my room. She would do my laundry. Like I knew how to do laundry uh, because my mom made me do laundry sometimes when I was younger um, to teach me. Like my mom tried and um, I had such really bad depression that cleaning wasn't a priority in my life. And like, when you are super depressed, those things tend to go unnoticed. And like, you don't like usually invite people in, like you don't like hanging out with anybody because you're like, my place is a mess. Or if you do invite somebody, like, I remember I would invite like somebody would be like, Oh, let's hang out. I'm like, okay. And I would be up all night cleaning my little apartment because it was such it was so hard to get up and do things. (laughs) And um, I also dealt with um, anxiety as well, which I still kind of deal with. And I like, I probably had anxiety prior to, and with the death of my mom, like I have anxiety when it comes to death and dying because it was so young. And then um, there was other people that died in my life at the time. 
So it definitely is very, very hard to deal with. And um, I've learned that sometimes you don't have to be blood related to be family. I've chosen a lot of friends who have become in my, who have become my family and um, they are probably the best things in my life. (laughs) So I always try to keep a contact with my godmother until she died four years ago. So a lot of people that I consider family are definitely not blood related for sure. Um, But yeah. May I ask what happened with the relationship with the godmother that you were with her from 11 and then what happened when you left at 16? So I didn't like leave. (laughs) Um, My God, like her daughter um, was living with us and she's 17 years older than me. And, um, her and my godmother went to the cottage for the weekend and I didn't want to go. And I snuck on the computer when I was grounded from the computer. So when they got back, they found out I was on the computer. I got grounded again. And, um, my, I call her my god sister. Um, she, came into my room. She was a big girl too. And like, I'm a big girl. And I was looking for my belt. I was supposed to be cleaning my room. And she's like, what are you doing? And I'm like looking for my belt. And she's like, it probably wouldn't fit you anyway. And I'm like, basically saying that I'm too big for it or whatever. And I was like, so I found it, I put it on. I'm like, look at that. It's on the last hole. Like, like, um, not the first one, like the last one. And it was like, And she just kept teasing me. And I was like, you know what? I don't want to deal with you. It was more, I didn't want to deal with my god sister. So I went out and I was, cause like, I tend to, I'm like a very, um, I don't like conflict. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I try to like leave it as much as possible. And I went out to go see my friend. And as I was leaving, my godmother said that if I left, then um, don't come back. But she was saying it hoping that I just wouldn't leave Mm. and I went out and my friend took me around and I went and found somebody I could stay with for the night until things cooled down and I saw my godmother driving by when I was in the other town because we lived in two like in a very small town and the two towns were very connected when I went back to get my clothes she wasn't there but my god sister and my godfather were and my god sister had this dog it was a jack russell and he was so vicious <laughs> anyway he, she had him in his arm and she's like give me your key and i'm like no like i'm not giving you my key i'm just getting clothes for the night and she follows me up to my room and she's telling me to give her my key and i'm like no like no 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 she grabs me by the back of my neck pins me to my bed and is trying to get the key and I'm screaming. My godfather comes in, tells her to get off of me, but then tells me to give her my key. And for years, I thought that it was all of their doing. But like, I, I realized that my godmother did not know any of this. And to the day that she died, she died believing that I left on my own because like I wouldn't talk about it much because like every time we would talk about it she'd get upset. Like I would try to like, say like, no, this is what happened. And she'd get upset. And like, I didn't really want to upset her. She was like an old, like she was born in 44. So she was older and it was like, she was having a lot of health problems and I didn't want to like, 
so I never got that closure with her and it was like really really heartbreaking but um I'm working on getting that closure for myself kind of and getting it out there because I don't want it like like I told um my godbrother the story and I told my told their cousin so she's kind of like my cousin too and I'm like just so you know I'm not this bad person like because I thought they were all kicking me out there was a little bit of animosity when I was trying to like get some more of my stuff so that I had clothes and everything to wear and um it was a big thing so it was it was really hard I imagine yeah and you speak to what I talk a lot about and what we share in grief recovery is this incomplete emotionally being this feeling of being emotionally incomplete with people. Yeah. And that's almost tormenting to us. Yeah. It, it's almost worse. Like it, it's not like she's still alive and I can like be like, Hey, let's talk about it now that I'm older. And I kind of understand how to talk about it with somebody, especially because I went to school for it. But like, um, and because of like working in my field, like you, t- you, you tend to kind of like build these things as you get older, whether you're in the field or not, you tend to build like a little more clarity of like how you should deal with things. Like, I don't know if you do this or any, like, I, well, I know a lot of people do this, but like I sit there and I'll like have conversations in my head and I'm like, okay, this is how this conversation is going to go. It never goes the way I want it to, but I'm like, or I'll go back and I'll like, think of a great comeback. And then I'm like, Oh, I wish I knew that before I like ended that conversation. But, um, (laughs) but yeah, like I wish I could sit her down and talk to her like, and be like, Hey, I didn't leave. (laughs) I didn't want to leave. I was young. I was scared. Like I've never like felt more alone at that time, you know? And it's, it's a scary thing when you're 16. Since you're into spooky things. Do you believe in the afterlife? Oh, totally. So I believe now, like, um, if she could, she would tell me that she now knows. Because, like, I'm sure in the afterlife she would know, especially, like, if there, if you do connect with people in your past. So, like, she would have had that connection with my mom or whoever else, right? And it's, like, the communication and finding out what really goes on. And I had a friend who, well, I have, she's still my friend. Um, Her and her mom do tarot. And like, I think she kind of like, she, she also has like a connection with people in um, the other side. And it's like, and she said that she, used to feel sick every time she looked at my room because of what happened and everything. And she's like, she didn't realize that that's what went down and blah, blah, blah. And I, I believe it on a, uh, on a note, but like my friend also kind of knew. So like, it's kind of like, is that her picking up that or is that her picking up what she also knows at the same time? Right. Mm-hmm. Although she forgot the most of it. So <laughs> it's, it's definitely a huge belief of mine. I do believe in psychics the right kind of psychics and because there are some people who will say that they're psychic and just not because it's good scam money I guess but um yeah so I definitely believe in the uh, afterlife and ghosts you might be interested in listening to my episode with Siri Bernson 
She is okay. a certified psychic medium. Oh, really? Eh? Yeah. But she's also a grief recovery specialist like me. So. Oh, cool. Yeah. She's I will amazing. Look at that. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good listen because it helps. She also helps people to understand how to connect to their loved ones yeah. too in that episode. Yeah. So I would recommend that. So with your mom, I know you mm-hmm. mentioned this emotionally incomplete feeling with your godmother, but how about your mom? Like, was that a good relationship? Oh yeah. My mom was a single parent. I was an only child. <laughs> Every child says this about their mom, but, but my mom was the greatest. <laughs> she, from what I can remember, she was, she was tough, but she was good. Like she was a very good person. She was very helpful to a lot of people. Like I remember she would help her friends by taking their kids who were a, a little a little rough on the edges and she would help them kind of like be like hey like you can't be like this or she would take in like I, I know my cousin came to stay with us because he didn't have anywhere else to go at a point and all this other stuff so it's like my mom was very helpful to a lot of people and I feel like she also kind of like put others before herself but we had a really good relationship. I loved her. She was like my best friend as much of a kid as like, as much as I can say as a kid, like I wish I kind of have known, been able to know her as an adult and be an actual friend with her and know more about her life than what a child knows about their mom at the time, you know? So it's like, I know, like, I feel like I, I got robbed of that. And it's, it's, it's always been my biggest thing is like, I wish I had known her more as a, an adult. So do you have other family of hers that you've been able to, I mean, I, I know you mentioned you don't have much family, but did she yeah. have siblings and things that you could learn about her from? Oh, my family life is so, <laughs> um, she has friends that I can kind of like hit up and be like hey like but a lot of them are just like she just loved you so much like that's usually all I I get like she just adored you she just like you were her life you were her universe basically and it's like that's basically and I I try not to delve into it because they also go through the loss and I kind of haven't like wanted to kind of know too too much yet and I don't know the right questions to ask like what I want to know like my mom was adopted and my nana and papa also adopted another kid and so that was my uncle Chris and after my nana died my uncle Chris went missing (laughs) He went MIA, but he always went MIA even when my mom and my Nana were alive. And my mom was the one who kind of like went knocking on his door because he, he was an alcoholic and he had his problems. And so she would go knocking on his door and she'd be like, no, you need to get back in there and you need to get your help and all this other stuff. And my Nana died not long after my mom. So and then my papa died a few years back, but I stopped talking to him when I was like. 18 I think maybe before that way before that and my uncle Chris's son my cousin Peter him and I stopped talking so and it's not that I wanted to stop talking to them it's just things happened so like when I was on my own my cousin Peter was like hey let's go to 
um, Papa's for Thanksgiving. And that's usually like my birthday weekend. And I had just gotten this job at a restaurant and I'm like, oh, hey, like I would love to, but I have to work. And he got mad at me saying like, I put work for my family. And then he stopped talking to me, never talked to me ever since. Mm-hmm. And we lived in the same town and I would see him all the time. And <laughs> yeah, so that one was, but he has his own issues and I, I do kind of, I am kind of thankful that I don't share blood with some of these. Cause like even my papa, like I didn't find out he had a brother until my Nana's funeral. And I was 12 at the time. Cause like she died around my 12th, she died the day before or the day after my 12th birthday. So a lot of his life was very secretive. And then he started, and then he was also kind of abusive to me in his own way. Like he came over for Christmas to my godparents I was 15 years old and he looks at me and he's like, you could find a nice boy if you lost some weight. And it's like, who says that to a 15 year old child? And he started dating this other uh, woman who apparently he ended up marrying. I didn't know that until I saw his obituary because I was trying to like find my mom's obituary and I stumbled upon it. So he got together with this woman and my godmother made me go visit him and her. And I didn't want to, because like one, I didn't really know her. They also weren't living in the home that I grew up in anymore. So it was just awkward for me. And when I went there, I went to help with the dishes because I I was a polite kid and I, I, I did do a lot of stuff and so I went to help with the dishes and she's like, oh, no, 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 no. You just sit there. You relax and all this other stuff. And she would do that. And like they lived in like um, Etobicoke. So like Toronto and um, Ontario. So not the safest place. So I wouldn't even leave. I didn't go anywhere. And like I'd be home alone most of the time. And yeah, so like then when they sent me home, she gives my godparents a letter, which I read <laughs> And they're basically saying that I'm lazy. I don't do anything. I need to do more chores and all this stuff. I'm like, who are you? Like, even my godmother was like, this is ridiculous. I did my chores. Like, she knows that. And so, like, after that, I just kind of, like, was iffy about him. And then I was even more iffy because I was homeless. And they wouldn't help me. They let me stay in a shelter at 16, even though they had a two bedroom, just because, and, and I kind of get it, but I also kind of don't, but because her granddaughter who was like severely autistic would come and stay and she can get, and and like some people on the spectrum, they tend to be a little bit like violent depending on their communication level. And she was nonverbal. So when she couldn't communicate, she tended to lash out. Right. And it's like, I get it. But if that's only like every now and then, why can't I come and have a home? So it it was very hard on me that he did that and didn't stand up for me and be like, Hey, let, let me help you. So you kind of felt like you were on an Island, right? Yeah. As my People drawing who my were, illustration of for the, my podcast illustrates is you feel like you're on an island often as yeah. a griever. Yeah, it, it, it's exactly it. And like sometimes 
you you sit there and you're like the these people who are supposed to love me and care for me are doing nothing and they're letting me drown like this island is like starting to flood at this point it's becoming atlantis and you're i'm like going down with it and it's only me that has brought myself out of it i've had to rely on myself a lot and I've had to rely heavily on a lot of my friends who were very supportive and very helpful. And a lot of them who are still helpful in my life. I don't know where I would be if I didn't have that determination to stay afloat, which sometimes I sunk. Eventually I did get back up. That is how life is, is like, there are going to be times where you feel like you're sinking, but you can't let yourself drown. <laughs> like, you know, you have to figure out your ways like everybody has their own ways of dealing with their anxiety their depression their grief and it's all about finding your niche and sometimes you need to find more than one because like you can't consistently rely on the one (laughs) but like for me like feeling anxious I can call a friend uh, or I try to like I have like a few friends like on standby so if one doesn't answer I can call this person and it's like um, that's helped me a lot and Also, music is another thing for me when I'm feeling anxious. This is more like when I'm out because like with my anxiety, I developed agoraphobia. So for the longest time, I couldn't go places without feeling like I'm going to (laughs) die. And because my mom died of a massive heart attack, I and the anxiety symptoms that you tend to get. So like the heart palpitations, the beating of the heart, like not being able to breathe. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to die. So that was a lot of my life where sometimes I couldn't even get off the couch and it's not easy. It's so not easy, but I got to a point now where, yeah, sometimes I have really hard days where it's hard for me to go from point A to point B, but I can now drive to my work, which is a 40 minute drive and on the highway, which I never (laughs) like driving on because I had very bad anxiety back in the day. I go from point A to point B and like I don't break down. And it's because I've learned to develop like what I need to get there and do that. Like sometimes I'll be in my head. I'm like, okay, there's so many people around. If something happens, like they'll help you, (laughs) you know, like or at least one out of the 20 people that are around here will help, you know, and it's like being in my head and doing that. Whereas like whenever I would go and talk to somebody, their advice when you have an anxiety attack, a lot of the times, I don't know if it's changed because like every time I now go in, I'm like the counting um, five things I can taste, touch, hear and everything that doesn't work. (laughs) Like I just need to talk it out. I know what I can do when I'm feeling anxious at the time, but I think when I get to the level of holding things in, which I do a lot still, I need somebody non-biased to talk to. That's all I need is somebody non-biased that I can talk to and let it all out. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Because my boyfriend, I'm sure he's sick of hearing things. (laughs) He's like, okay, I get it. But he's biased and he will always be on my side in every single case And so will my friends and like, or they'll be like, or they just don't understand. And even when you talk to a professional, they might not understand in your case, but they understand how to talk to you when it comes to those moments, you know, and it 
that I that I found was a really great thing. And I tell my friends all the time, I'm like, you need to talk to some, like, I can talk to you as much as possible. And I can give you the greatest advice ever. And I get it. I'm a social worker, but I'm also biased. <laughs> like you're my friend. You have to talk to somebody who's not who doesn't that's, know you. That's great advice. Yeah. And I, you bring up a good point. And I, I just want to say this too, because you didn't lead with when you contacted me to be on the podcast, you didn't leave with the fact that you are a social worker. No. And I find that interesting and not because you're not doing that work right now, but mm-hmm. I just find that interesting. And I, I say that because you're coming on here to share your story, right? Mm. But not from a place of expertise, you're an expert in your story. Of course, we all yeah. are, are an expert mm-hmm. in our story. No one knows it like we do. But I, I bring that up because even though you've had this training and this education, you are still a griever. Mm-hmm. You are still processing your own stuff. And mm-hmm. as a social worker, you too need somebody. You can't heal alone on an island. No. No, I just wanted to bring that up. So thank you for sharing all of that. Yeah, no worries. And that that's exactly it. Like, and I tell people this all the time and I feel like people use my not, well, they don't use it, but like, they're like, oh my God, like Amy, like would be a better person to give advice. And I'm like, okay, I don't mind giving you advice, but I'm not going to sit down with you once a week. And like, cause that's not part of like what I do anyways, as a person and a professional or whatever. And it's like, and even then, like what I've been through and even what I've learned in my training and everything is not black and white. It's not what's written down in the books. You have to read outside of those lines all the time because everybody deals with grief or any situation that's traumatic in so many different ways. And because everybody's brain, it, 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 I think of the brain like, a fingerprint. They are so unique. They are so powerful. And like, I could be sitting there and all of a sudden I'm remembering something I did when I was like six years old or something. (laughs) And I get embarrassed and I'm like, oh my God, like, why are we thinking about my, my past like this? Like, I just wanted to watch my Netflix show, you know? (laughs) Um, But yeah, like everybody's brain is so different and everybody deals with grief differently. Like, even if it was the exact same situation, like say you and I shared the situation, your mom died the same year. Um, you were the same age as me in the same way and all this other stuff, like it could be the exact situation, but because you and I are totally two different people with two different brains, you're going to grieve a lot differently than what I'm going to grieve. Well, not only that, our relationships with our mothers are very different. Exactly. Exactly. So it's that brain to brain connection with that person, that relationship with that person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly it. And like when I was young, after my mom died, I denied going to see a psychologist, which I really regret as I got older. I did go through bereavement counseling through school, like every single year through school. But as I got older, I remember talking to a social worker or somebody and um, they asked me like what I used to do when I was younger and I was grieving. Now there, I had some positive, but I also had some negative because of my anxiety. I would also stay up and 
late as I could because I was afraid I was going to die in my sleep and I wouldn't like, and I stayed up until I passed out. So um, I didn't get a lot of sleep when I was younger, but when I was really upset, like I had a bad day or I had a fight with my godparents, I would write in a journal to her and I would like ask her questions. I'd be like, how's heaven? Like, I hope you're okay. And all this other stuff and tell her like, I wish you were still here and all this stuff. And then as I got older, when I was allowed to just sit outside at night, like at midnight and cry, I would look up at the stars and I would talk to her and all this other stuff. So it's they, when I spoke to the social worker and I told them that they're like, basically you found your own ways of coping in a healthy way. And that's how I coped with it when I was younger. And it did help me a lot. And cause like I, but when I was younger, I was very creative. I liked to write. I liked to draw. I still like to, I just never have the time to. So those were my outlets and that's how I coped with it. And as I got older, sit, I loved looking at the stars. And I remember when I was younger as well, um, after she died, somebody showed me the stars and they're like, the first star you see is always your mom shining down on you. <laughs> and I always will look up and the first star I see is the one that I always talk to. And it doesn't always have to be the brightest star, but (laughs) it's very, it's very helpful in a, in a way. But again, what was helpful for me might not be helpful for the next person. It's always just finding your niche. Well, and it changes over time too, right? Yeah. I I don't do that as much anymore. (laughs) Well, and especially considering our frontal lobes aren't fully developed until we're 25 too, right? 26, 25, something like that, you know? So we don't have the cognitive ability in a lot of ways to emotionally process some things until we are actually getting, that's why the midlife crisis is what Mm -hmm. it is. I think because it takes so long for our brain to fully develop. Yeah. You know, that, you know, our, and everything that, but here's the fascinating thing too about it is that Everything that you learn and how to cope with challenges in life are developed by the age of three or four. Like 75% of how you will cope with challenges as an adult are formed and developed in your, in your beliefs, like what you know, by Mm. the age of three or four, 75%. And And the rest, and and the rest is like 15, 16 And it's so crazy because like we don't realize a lot of people don't realize that. And it it's how you nurture and deal with situations when you're talking to your children who are at that age and older and all that stuff. And you're how you treat the situations at that time is how they're going to figure out how to treat it in the future. And it could not be in the right way. And um, not that parenting is easy and is not perfect. And sometimes we're going to do things the wrong way. I'm not a parent, but like, I'm talking about other people who are parents and I have friends who struggle and they're like, I think I'm failing. And I'm like, you're not failing. There's no book written about being a perfect parent and there's no perfect parent. <laughs> you're, you're fine. Are your kids eating? Are they, do you have a shelter over their head? Do they have a bed to sleep in at night? You're doing great. Like, um, and that's exactly it. And I tell my friends all the time, like my one friend, she needs a break. And I'm like, take that break, tell your partner, 
next time you're off, I'm going. And she's like, I don't even know myself anymore. I'm like, you don't have to know yourself. And I'm like, go get a coffee and go sit by the water or somewhere or go into the woods and scream. Like you don't have to go to the spa or go to the movies. Like, it's not about that. It's about channeling who you are and like getting deeper into your self and having that quiet and alone time sometimes because you have children or whatever at you all the time. And it's totally not what we're talking about when it comes to grief, but like, it is a kind of grief though, because mothers who are there for their kids all the time feel like they lost themselves. Mm -hmm. And that's another part of grief. And when and, and especially with postpartum and that being a big thing, you got to understand that you have to take that break. You have to go and it's okay to cry. And I tell this to everybody, no matter what it is, if it hurts you enough, it's okay to cry. Crying releases that chemical in your brain that helps you feel good. I find if I have a nice, good cry, I'm good. I'm tired and I'm ready to go to bed. (laughs) I take that time to cry sometimes. And if I really don't want to, I try not to look at animal videos. You got to understand that to help yourself, it's not always about having to go out and do something where you're spending a whole ton of money. Like just go to the coffee shop, get a $2 coffee and just go sit in your car, cry, scream, or just watch and meditate. Like it's... you don't have to do anything super extreme to kind of like get that chemical release in your brain that says, okay, you're okay. (laughs) To everything you just said, that was like my life. (laughs) That was me in motherhood. It was my youngest went to kindergarten. I had this midlife crisis. Like that was my identity. I did have a business at the time too, which I also closed at around the same time or I knew I was going to close it. And so I lost that baby and I lost my other, my other baby. And it was a really difficult time. And that's really what opened me up to wanting to feel better, to wanting to discover myself, who I was before them, who Mm -hmm. I was before grief, even because that really opened up a lot of old wounds too. Right. Oh yeah. I mean, children will do that. And that's, (laughs) I mean, that's what happens is they reflect back to us what we need to really work on in ourselves. And I say this Mm -hmm. to on this podcast a lot. If you're a parent and you're listening, the best thing you can ever do for your kids is to work on yourself. Yeah. Bar none. That's exactly That's the it. greatest gift you can give yeah. them. Like I, I find a lot of mothers tend to put their all into the household and making sure like 24 seven. And it's even like with my job, when I was working at group homes, I'd be at that group home and I'd just go home and I'd sleep and I'd come back and I never took time to care for myself. And when you don't take that time, you tend to burn out and burnout can look like depression. It can look like anxiety. It can look like a multitude of other things. Like you just don't want to do anything. You don't want to shower. You don't want to eat. You don't like, or you forget to eat. <laughs> like, um, And you got to understand that you can't do it all by yourself. You have, if you have a partner or if you have somebody like a friend to come be like, Hey, can you come watch my kids for an hour? I need to go and I need some time to myself 
or tell your partner like, hey, I want to take the day. You get your time. I want my time. (laughs) You know, like you got to be demanding. Like you're not failing as a parent because you need a break from your kids. That's the greatest example you can give your kids. Exactly. Caring for yourself. Exactly. And that's exactly it. Grab a pen and paper and go somewhere. And that's how you discover yourself. Ask yourself some deeper, better questions. Exactly. And it, it, it also teaches them that you have boundaries yourself. Cause and like value yourself. Exactly. Cause like as a mom, I'm sure like you'd go to the bathroom and hello, there's a child there watching you, you know, like, or asking you, Hey, can I have a snack while dad's out in the living room or near the kitchen? It's like, go ask him. I'm peeing. Like, right. You know? yep. So like, I, I also read this thing that was really, really great. Um, it was this couple and each of them had one day in the week where at a certain time they got to go do whatever they needed to, and they would take care of the kids. So say, and there was this one example that they put where the mom, it was her time to have her day. And she went into her room to into the, well, their room and to have her time. And he gave her that. And one of the children kept saying, I want to ask mommy something. I want to, and he's like, no, you can wait. If you need something, you can ask me. And like, she got upset and everything. And, but the whole time he had, he kept his foot down. He's like, if you need something, you can ask me until then you can wait until the morning. So as it usually is, it's usually minuscule, like I need a snack, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but, um, and the next morning he's like, she, cause I think he explained it to her and he's like, sometimes mommy needs a break. And right now she's taking her break and you need to deal with me. So the next morning she even asked like mom, her mom, like, how was your time? Like, I think she kind of got it, but like, you have to be very consistent with children when it comes to stuff like that, because like you need to teach them like, Hey, like it's something that you don't like. So like, if I were to do this to you, how would you feel? And like, they are at the level where they can understand that. And it's like, I remember, and I, I take that back to like, when I was a kid, I was out with my mom, we were at like a restaurant and, um, I bit my mom for some reason. I, I I wasn't being malicious. I was just like, oh, I wonder what happens if I do this. And my mom bit me back and I didn't like it. And trust me, I never bit after that. <laughs> like, like uh, parents nowadays, like I, I get it. Like they'd be like, oh my God, like, why would you, why would she bite you? I'm like, well, it taught me that I didn't like it <laughs> like, mm-hmm. and that I probably shouldn't do it ever again. <laughs> and, um, now I kind of like do it jokingly, like with my boyfriend, I'll be like, Oh, I'm going to bite you. <laughs> like, um, but like, I don't like bite hard. And like I did when I was a kid and it's like, you, you kind of take things like that and you have to kind of give them natural consequences to like what they do. And I think a lot of people protect their kids from that. Well, and life just to on. that, just to that point, it's let them sit in their uncomfortable feelings for a little bit. That's exactly it. Right. And they don't learn how to manage their emotions if they're constantly, if their giving, emotions are given that const- bandaid. Yeah, right. that's exactly it. They, you, you need to give them that bandaid. You can't keep giving them that bandaid. 
sometimes they need to realize like, hey, I need to give myself that Band-Aid because I'm old enough to do so. And, well, and when um, they see that they, they went through this uncomfortable feeling, I couldn't mm-hmm. talk to my mom. It was uncomfortable. I didn't like it. And the yeah. next day, well, it was okay. It yeah. was fine. It wasn't that big of a deal. No, they start exactly. connecting those dots and they make that connection, connection themselves. Mm-hmm. And they, they, and when they get older, they're going to be like, man, my yeah, parents aren't leaving boundaries. me alone now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Mom, I need my space. Like, you know, so like, but it's, it's all always about give and take and you need to, you need to put those boundaries and teach your kids these boundaries. Right. So I don't even know how we got on this topic. <laughs> I'm not sure either, but it's a good one. And, and yeah. cause that's a lot of grief. I mean, it is, it's parenting is going to have a lot of grief. It's going to carry a lot of grief with it because you will feel like you're failing a lot and mm-hmm. you do what you know best. But if you can work through your own stuff so that whenever your children are doing something and projecting their feelings and it's reminding you of something from your childhood and then all of a sudden it's really emotionally fueled and you know all of the it's you can't I know me personally, I dealt with a lot of, I had a lot of pent up anger from Mm -hmm. my childhood. My, my dad passed away when I was eight, Mm -hmm. just a lot of anger, just a lot of anger from my childhood. And I didn't, I stuffed it down. And for like, you talked about like the things that you used to cope. And for me, it was writing. Mm -hmm. Um, I had a journal and then until my mom read it (laughs) (laughs) and parenting is ever changing you constantly, every day is an opportunity to learn something, but you have to be an observer. You have to be Mm. kind of step back from the situation and just observe, like, why is this like stirring me up? Like, why is this making me upset? Yeah. And usually it's, it's not the child that's intentionally doing it. It's that feeling you get that you feel provoked, right? Mm -hmm. You just feel provoked. So yeah, <laughs> that's what you got to work through. But anyway, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, I know now. And children, they 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 know how to push buttons. <clears throat> well, and you're but, a nanny. I mean, yeah, right? you're not a parent, but I, you're a nanny. I used to watch that show, Super Nanny, when I was oh, feeling yes. kind of crazy as a parent. Well, it's and, easier for her. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and it and it's it's crazy. Like you see, like these families where these kids are like running the show and it's like you got a parent first and friend later because if you're teaching your kids like yes you want to be their friend yes you want to have that relationship and it's it's hard to kind of like build from how you were brought up but there's different ways of parenting from the way you were brought up because a lot of people are very I didn't like how my mom raised me like I didn't like being grounded I didn't like this or whatever and like get it and but kids need structure kids need that hey like if I do something that's not appropriate I'm gonna get in trouble for it in real world if somebody does something bad they're either gonna get fined they're gonna go to jail they're gonna get fired all that other stuff and if we're saying like hey it's okay like you did this like I understand your feelings I do understand your feelings like you can still talk to them as the adult but you need to put those pieces down where it's like hey you know what, like, this is a natural consequence. And you're gonna have to sit in your room. I get it. These are your big feelings. This is how you're 
how you deal with it, but natural consequences is you need to sit in your room and you don't get electronics because in real world, you can't be like going out there and saying like, and screaming and yelling or whatever the case is. And um, I I can't think of a situation right now. I think like what you're saying, it comes down to accountability. It, it, It does. It definitely comes down to accountability and keeping that structure and keeping in line with what you say. And kids are going to be all on you and like begging. And it's like, you have to keep your foot down. You have to, because like, they're not going to be able to get this in real life where they're going to have a boss. They're going to have a professor like, oh, like, I think I deserve a B. Like sometimes, yes, you probably, or an A. Yes. Sometimes you probably did. And you can get it double checked in college, but like sometimes you didn't put enough work in. And it's like, you have to, they have to kind of like develop those skills where they can learn how to manage their time and their, and manage how they react to certain things. And it's like, but they can't, like we talked about like how they develop that cognitive part where they deal with certain things at four years old. And it's like, they're learning how to deal with that. And if we're dealing that for them. They're not going to learn how to deal with that later on in life. Right. I think it circles back to your own yeah. personal experience, right? Like exactly. Basically learning how you had to reparent yourself. Exactly. And like when I was younger, I, I know my mom put those things in place where I learned that like I was scared to be like a little rebel, you know, like I didn't want to put my foot out of line because I didn't want to get into a lot of trouble and lose out on a lot of things that I wanted to do in life because sometimes that's what what's what happens when you get older that's another type of loss that kids go through because like wanting to go to a certain college but because they didn't put all their effort into it or whatever or they didn't put all their ducks in a row (laughs) because they weren't taught how to they tend to lose out on the things that they want in life Mm -hmm. and it's it it, it's hard and like yeah there are other options but sometimes and and I I, a lot of things do happen for reasons and it at that point it's going to teach them like hey if I really want to do this then I have to start doing it now like it's never too late to change and they got to realize that it's never too late to change but start the work you know like you got to learn how to start the work you have to learn how to do things for yourself and some people are going to be better than you and some people are and you're going to be better than some other people and it's not about everybody winning. It's about you getting to where you need. So what would you like to scream to the world in the past or recently and wish people knew about your grief? Oh, <laughs> when it came to my grief, that was my anxiety. I had really bad anxiety and I, I would need people to be with me. So a lot of my agoraphobia part where I needed, I would need somebody to be with me a lot of the time. And some of my friends get it now because they have anxiety. A couple of them have apologized to me, but it's like, with my grief, don't abandon me. Like, I I wish I could tell everybody, don't abandon me. I'm dealing with a lot of stuff. I'm, I'm still learning how to process it. And with grief, you always learn every single day that you have to process it in a different way because your brain is constantly changing. It's constantly doing different things and you're always going to be doing something different. And 
the way you develop your grief and the way you deal with your grief can change consistently. And mine has, and sometimes it's put me in a place where people are like, Hey, like you're so different or whatever. And it's like, listen, like I can't help it. I'm trying. Don't leave me right now because I need you the most. Well, and to that point, you could say to that other person, when they say that to you, like, wow, you're really different. It's like, yeah, you know, if we all stayed the same, yeah, and, you know, if I would have be, be, if I'd be, I was when I'm 21, boy, man, if I only knew at 21, what I know now. Yeah, I mean, exactly. That's the blessing of age is, is wisdom. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's a good thing. We don't stay the same. No, it's a good thing. I think we need to embrace that. Yeah. Embrace the change, embrace change. That's the only mm. death taxes and change <laughs> are the only sure <laughs> things in life. Oh gosh. Um, <laughs> so what is one tip that you would give another hurting heart today? Maybe specifically, I want to say specifically a teenager that just might so happen to stumble upon this episode today. And maybe the parent of that child or the caretaker of that child. Number one, it's okay to cry. You're not weak because you're crying. It's, it shows strength. It shows that you care and it shows, and again, crying is so helpful to your psyche. It helps build that um, chemical balance that you need to kind of deal with the situation and release the buildup inside of you. And to a parent who sees this, just sit there, hold them, tell them it's okay. Tell them it's okay to cry. Never say, stop being a baby. <laughs> like I was a big cry baby. I get it. Like it, it's a lot. Like if your kid is a crier, um, depending on the situation, also just never, ever call them a baby. Don't be a baby. Be like. I understand you're having some emotions. Offer them the, do you need me to sit with you? Would you like me to hold you and rub your back? Do you need some space? Like, don't overload it, but like, be simple. Like, do you want me to be here or do you want some alone time? And then they'll let you know. Because like, when I was having my emotions, I just wanted somebody to hold me and rub my back. I still do. <laughs> like I, cause like I remember being sick and like really sick. I had pneumonia and I was crying and my mom sat there and she rubbed my back. And that was my, that was my um, love language. My love language is touch and like just rubbing my back and it was soothing. And it, and that's what it reminds me of. And that's why I, feel I need that. And some people just don't, some people need the space because they, that's not their love language or learn what your child's love language is and show them that you're there and that you care and give them what they need. Always be there. That's a very good point. I wonder if there's a love language book for kids. I, you know what? I didn't know, learn about love language until I was like, maybe like five years ago. And it's like, so I, I, I don't know. I wonder if there is because people need to learn that it's okay to love this, but you got to realize that some people don't like that. Mm-hmm. Like my boyfriend's not touchy. His love language is food. <laughs> so I don't know if that's a love language, is it? 
Uh, it can be. It's like, like one of the five or something. I, I can't remember. There's seven of them. There's like, oh, service. Like yeah, service. service. Yeah. Service, gifts, touch. I can't remember the rest. Mine is, <laughs> mine is words of affirmation. And my oh, words of affirmation is, yeah. is touch. See, I like a mix of everything, but touch is my biggest one. Next to that is words of affirmation because I I feel like I always need like somebody to be like, hey, you're doing good. <laughs> That's another thing. Well, and this is there's two more points I just I thought of is that so I was called a crybaby too, and so mm-hmm. if you have a sensitive child, understand that that they're not crying just because. Yeah, it, it, some children are just more sensitive. I also learned recently that females like myself, um, that could be a sign of ADHD is crying all the time, especially if they daydream a lot and they're kind of like, oh, I'd rather sit in the corner and read a book type thing. And that was me. And I'm currently in the process process of trying to kind of like figure out if that's what I have. And because like, that can also be a very big difference of like how you treat your anxiety in that. Right. So, well, and I just learned about it's come across my sphere recently is complex PTSD, mm-hmm. which is common in children who've experienced trauma. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I, I don't know if you've heard anything about this or read anything on that. I kind of a I newer haven't. thing. It's kind of <laughs> I, a newer thing. I, I, I know PTSD, like I had PTSD and I still do depending on the situation. Cause like I, I, right now my PTSD is more about like the dog that I had and he got run over in front of me. And like, that's my PTSD now, but I had PTSD from like when my mom had died, but like sometimes PTSD can kind of go away eventually once you start kind of like being like, okay, I'm okay with this situation that, and like, you kind of like got a little bit of closure um, or it just kind of like lessens and kind of like goes into the back burner, especially as you age. I've never heard of the complex PTSD. I, I got to look it up though. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to ask your opinion on something too, and a question because you have anxiety, you said, and you're wondering mm-hmm. if you have ADHD and just listening to what you're saying. And one thing too, that, I mean, whether it's addiction ADHD, anxiety disorders, things like that. Do you think or believe, because a part of me really believes that the root of it is grief? Oh, yeah. I think um, a lot of kids, um, a lot of kids can deal with a lot of grief in the beginning, especially depending on how their childhood is, because a lot of kids go through divorce, parents, a lot of kids go through like some sort of abuse, like even if they have like the perfect parents, there's somebody out there that like, they go to school and they get bullied. That's a type of grief. That's a type of trauma, um, which gives people anxiety about dealing with people and the social anxiety and all that other stuff. So a lot of grief and trauma can definitely be a trigger for a lot of things. Like you could also somewhat have something and then it be triggered by certain other things, whether it be drugs, whether it be grief, whether it be trauma in general or abuse, anything like a lot of things can just be triggered when you've already kind of have it in your, in your brain. And 
it's it's almost like an on and off switch <laughs> except it just turns on and it never goes away but what i would love to like really deep dive into and research is you know following people over decades of their life mm-hmm. into older age and really a, if you address the grief get to the root of it and you address mm-hmm. the grief itself yeah whether it would help does everything else kind of level off Because I have heard many times, even people I've talked to on this podcast who Mm -hmm. were on ADHD medication as children, um, who had traumatic experiences, who sexual identity issues, things like that, who are now off of medication. Like, so the ADHD just went away, like it, the medication, like they just don't need it anymore. Did because he dealt with the grief Mm -hmm. with a therapist. Oh Yeah. You know what I mean? I, so I think I, that's just a, something I want people to consider and take away from today oh yeah. is that there's other ways of dealing with certain things. Like you, you have your medication, you have your, your people that help you, you have, there's, there's so many different treatment options to a lot of things. Like with the person who has ADHD, they might've needed the medication more when they were a kid because it's harder to kind of get around that. And like, it's easier to kind of sit a kid down when they're calm and be like, Hey, here's what we can do to kind of help when you're angry or when you're feeling like you need to jump around and all that other stuff. Like my, my boyfriend has ADHD. He was diagnosed as a child and he was medicated as a child. He's not really on the medication because he would lose so much weight when he was on the medication. Um, But when he, he talks to somebody, he's, he has, and he has people who are there for him when he needs them the most, he's able to deal with it a lot better. He still has the hyper part where he has to pace a lot of the time. Like, so if he's on the phone, he's like pacing back and forth. He keeps his attention the most when he games. So it's all about finding your focus and finding out where you need to place that focus and and dealing with it in healthy ways. Again, it's all about healthy ways. <laughs> and I would just ask then in that instance, in your boyfriend's example, you don't have to share on the show, but yeah. was there something in his childhood that triggered the ADHD response? Like, did he oh, have yeah. any trauma? Yeah. That's what I'm getting at. That's what I'm getting at. Like, yeah. is, is, are these diagnoses that people are getting for ADHD, anxiety disorders, things like that, mm-hmm. Is it as a result of grief and trauma? And if we dealt with the grief and trauma. Mm -hmm. And and don't forget, you also have generational trauma that each generation deals with because that's how it is. Like, so a lot of people who say their generational trauma was like, they don't, they live on very low income and the drugs or alcohol and that was their life. And sometimes it's hard to break out of that. Some people do like nowadays it's a little easier because there's more resources out there, especially for women that they are able to break out of this generational trauma of abuse and all this other stuff and flourish for themselves. And it's all about finding, again, it's always about finding your niche and finding what works for you. And it comes down to access yeah, and open to help yeah, and having an awareness that you need help. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. It's not a, 
I'm by no means saying, well, we just dealt with all oh. the grief. Every- <laughs> it is not easy. It's, no, it's not. But it no. starts with us as individuals first, right? Yeah. That's really where, where it has to start. Yeah. Because like with how things are nowadays too, it's all about having the time to do these things as well. Because you, you have to work, especially with how high the living cost is nowadays mm-hmm. compared to like, 20 years ago it's the cost of living is so high for a lot of people like even dual like people on dual incomes it makes it hard so I do have one thing to say on that though is because Mm. we do have some responsibility in that because we do do we are we gluttonous in some areas of our lives where we think we need certain things to us and make us happy and therefore we have these expenses that we probably could live without Oh, definitely. Yeah. Like, but like, I, we only have like Netflix and like Disney plus we don't have like cable or anything. So we don't pay like $150 for internet and cable. I just pay for internet and then two like a couple streaming services. <laughs> so um, there's that and there's always that media and there's always lo- those commercials like oh come get a new tv or come get this new console for gaming and all this other stuff and it and that that is what triggers kids nowadays and you have youtube and you have tiktok and they're like oh look at this new toy um because like youtube is very big for this where you have people opening up new toys and just playing them and kids are just like Oh my God, I need all of that. And it, it, it's, um, it's something that we've even dealt with when we were younger, when we had commercials of like, um, what was it like Furby or something? And like, I'm a little bit uh, older than you. <laughs> yeah. Well, for me, it was like Furby. It was like, um, I can't even remember what I'm rainbow bright days. So <laughs> uh uh what's her name strawberry shortcake yes strawberry shortcake <laughs> cabbage patch dolls. i had to yes yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> those troll dolls but yeah like there's always these things because people just want like these companies just want to make money and they just like advertise all these things and we think that we need them because they people, tell us we need them people want to feel better yeah. And like in grief recovery, we, we call these things stirbs, short-term energy yeah. relieving behaviors. We think if we get these things that we'll feel better. And, and, it, and it's a lot easier to get these things with Amazon and all this other stuff. You just click a button and it comes to your door. You don't even have to get up and get it anymore. And you don't have to necessarily pay for it right away either. Right. When it comes yeah. back to like what you said about credit. And if you don't understand that and yeah. yeah. And then you get more grief because in the, cause you have shame then. And yeah, yeah. it's a cycle. Oh, yeah. It's a cycle. It, it, it definitely is. It definitely is. And uh, it's hard to break out of that cycle. So don't like, don't ever feel bad. Cause like, I still do it sometimes and I spend money and I'm like, Oh, why did I do this? And like, we all do it. it, it it's, it's a part of life and it, but it's all about making your choices and learning from them. And maybe living with a little bit more intention. Yeah. Yeah. Being more aware of like your surroundings. I feel like a lot of us just walk through life in a fog because if we're like zombies, we go from point A to point B because we're told we just need to do that. (laughs) And it's like, we got to be more aware of what we're doing in our day to day life. And especially when you're in the fog of grief. Exactly. So what has your grief taught you? My grief has taught me to love myself because sometimes- Because sometimes 
you're not going to get that love from other people that you need and you need to learn to love yourself. I'm writing that down. That is your quotable. <laughs> that's perfect. That's the best answer. I think, I, I mean, I love yeah. all my guests, but that's by far the best answer because um, that really resonates with me too. Yeah, yeah. I love that. And it's very hard to love yourself. So <laughs> it is, it is, especially when you weren't really, that really wasn't emulated for yourself. Right. And that mm-hmm. comes down to as mothers, that's the best yeah gift too, that we can show our daughters and our sons, like loving ourselves so that they don't need somebody else to fulfill that for them. They don't look to somebody else to fulfill that, or they don't look to food or they don't look to alcohol or they don't look to drugs to fulfill that in them. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. So is there anything else you would like to share? I think that's it. And where can people find you if they would love to reach out to you? So you can always find me on um, Instagram. I do have my own personal one. It's Autumn Lily 88. <laughs> um, I really have to, it, it's my old one, but you can also find me at our podcast link, which is, um, or on Instagram, which is uh, once upon a nightmare. Uh, I think there's an underscore at the end of that because it was taken. <laughs> um but if you look us up, you'll see, you'll see us. All right. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story today. And we went in a lot of directions, but I we think did. it was everything. <laughs> but grief you know, is not in grief is not singular. So it's messy. It's very it messy is. and it touches every area of our life. So I think it's like every glitter. area. Yeah, <laughs> it is very perfect. Yes. That's another quotable <laughs> grief is like glitter. It is. It truly is. Yeah. yeah. It's naive to think that just because you had a loss, like that's just all you're dealing with. It is impacting your money. It is impacting your parenting. It is impacting your friendships, your marriage, every mm-hmm. aspect of your life. Yeah. And I think if we pluck it like a weed and address it and really address it and get complete with what is emotionally incomplete, mm-hmm. which is possible, my it friends, is. it is possible. It is. Um, it is we can live fulfilling and joyful lives. Yeah, that's definitely it. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you again. And remember, when you unleash your heart, you unleash your life. Much love. From my heart to yours, thank you for listening. If you like this episode, please share it, because sharing is caring. And until next time, give and share compassion by being a heart with ears. And if you're hurting, know that what you're feeling is normal and natural. Much love, my friend.